session, we will be covering the body of Christ, chapters 11 to 13. We will be dealing with uh, the head covering and women's authority, unity of the body of Christ, the elevation of spiritual gifts. Let me give you a little background of these chapters. Paul started the church in Corinth and spent one and a half years with them. Acts chapter 18 verse 11. When in Corinth, Paul taught them new traditions to follow as new believers in Christ. And Paul starts the chapter praising them for remembering to follow it. At this point, Paul is in Ephesus. No sooner than Paul is gone, confusion with the traditions has entered the new church. One of the things we must remember, these people were pagan worshippers. Women's slavery was prominent in those days. Also, women, free and slaves, practiced prostitution in the temple of, of Epaphrodite. Inside the temple, there were at least a thousand female and males prostituting their bodies as a way of worship to their pagan gods. In the Greek culture, slave owners shaved the heads of their properties. Most of them even carried their master's initials on the side of their head. Some of these women became believers in Christ by the preaching of Paul, Peter, and Apollos. Marriage in those days was not based on love. It was for the propagation of their generation only. So you can see the confusion of these believers in Christ. They were trying to understand the new birth identity, especially between marriage and authority. So chapter 11, verse 2, Paul starts in saying, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. In all these three cases, Christ, man, woman, the idea of subjection to a head is indicated. It implies superior authority. Christ is the creator of every man. Christ is the source of every man in that he was God, agent, and creation. For by him all things were created. This interpretation is also supported in our passage in chapter 11, verses 8 to 9. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Christ is the source of the believer in that he is the head of the body. Christ is subordinating himself before the Father. He was sent to earth in a human form. He is God, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But for the sake of our salvation, he was submissive to the Father's plan. Verse 4. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. In verse 7. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image of the glory of God. But for the for the woman, is the glory of the man. What does it mean? The Greek word is a present middle infinitive of kataluptestai, which means to cover down. And kephale means head. This is an idiom in the Greek language, which means to wear a covering over one's head. The phrase is translated as having his head covered. For the woman can also be her long hair, as we will see later in verse 15. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying, what does it mean? What does it mean to prophesy? The active, present, active of propheteu means to proclaim a divine revelation. The word means to speak under the influence of divine inspiration with or without reference to future events. It means to proclaim God's message to people. God gives the message and the power to declare it. 
It was an inspired speech for the edification and encouragement of the congregation. It means speaking in the Spirit. It means to speak under the divine inspiration of God's message, of teaching, exhortation, consolation, or prediction. It means public teaching, correction, comforting, or delivering God's message to the people. In verse 4, it says, Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. It means that he dishonors both Christ and his own head. The thought is that since man is the glory of Christ, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18, if he were to cover his head, he would veil the glory of Christ. In other words, the man would recognize some other head authority than Christ. Verse 5, but it indicates a contrastive relationship. Every woman who has her head uncovered, the Greek word is akatakalupto. Katakalupto means to cover, with the negative alpha privative means uncovered. So the woman, while praying or prophesying with an uncovered head, disgraces her kephale, her head, which is the man, for she is one of the same as the woman whose head is shaved. Here are some of the cultural issues in Corinth. Among Greek women, only the immoral went unveiled. The temple prostitutes had their heads shaved and went unveiled. Slave owners shaved their heads of their property. Among Jewish women, the husband of an adulterous wife cuts off her hair, strips her naked, and drives her from the house. The veil in the culture was utilized as a sign of subjection to one's husband. If the woman wore no veil in it, it would bring disgrace on him. In the Roman Empire, men who had offered prayers to their pagan gods had their heads covered. The Greek men offered their worship to their gods with their heads uncovered. The Jewish men covered their heads in their reading of scriptures and prayer. However, there's nothing in the law that commands men to cover their heads. In the Corinthian culture, a married woman showed disrespect to her husband by not covering her head. In other words, it shows sexual availability to others. So Paul is addressing this misunderstanding from the factions that have infiltrated into the church. In the early church, women prophesied until the canon of scripture was completed. A woman must be veiled because whereas in herself she is the glory of men. Verse 7, if she were to pray or prophesy with uncovered head, she would not be glorifying God because she is to reflect the glory of men. Therefore, must be covered, lest dishonor is brought upon the woman's head. In verse 10, it says, Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. The woman's authority is on her head which refers to her hair, which is in verse 15. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering and not the ladies' hats. Some denominations for their, force their women to wear hats in church because of this passage. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority because of the angels. Why the angels? The angels are aware of the order of creation. Angels are in our midst, watching us in amazement of our faith in Jesus for our salvation. Being in Christ, we share his destiny. We are seated in the heavenly places. Believers in Christ 
are in a higher category than the angels. We will rule and reign and will judge unbelievers and the fallen angels at the last judgment, as it says in the scriptures. Now, we move into the Lord's Supper. A love feast preceded the Lord's table. And this love feast was simply everyone getting together and having a common meal. And then they would observe the Lord's table to follow the Lord, what the Lord has done himself. So Paul in verse 20 admonishes the Corinthians. He says, therefore, when you meet together, it is not for the Lord's, it's not to eat the Lord's supper. For in your eating, each takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another drunk. What? Do you not have a house in which you eat and drink? Or, do you, or you, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you then? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. Paul is saying that if you Corinthian believers, do you, want, you don't want to share your food with others, then you stay home and eat your own meal at home. The purpose of the love feast is to demonstrate the harmony and the fellowship of believers. There is no fellowship or harmony when you freeze out the impoverished and the less fortunate. Now he goes on to say, or do you despise the church of God? And the word despise here means to treat with contempt or to fail to recognize the authority of the church. The church, the whole church purpose of the love feast and the communion table which follow is harmony and fellowship. In verse 27, it says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body of, and the blood of the Lord. Let's break this verse down. The word whoever refers to any believer. Whoever describes a believer only because he or she is a priest. Whoever eats the bread, eating represents the picture of faith. Again, the bread represents the unique person of Christ or drinks the cup. Drinking indicates faith in Jesus Christ. The cup refers to the work of Christ on the cross. Now here we have an adverb, unworthy. This adverb, unworthy, describes the believer out of fellowship or carnal state. Nevertheless, he or she is a Christian. This person could even work in the church, but can't stand his fellow brother or sister, fails to seek reconciliation, or even causing divisions in the church. And when the communion elements are passed around, they eat the bread and drink the cup. So when this believer eats in an unworthy manner, they are in some discipline that can be mild or very seriously depending upon several factors their ignorance or understanding of Bible doctrine, their spiritual growth, and their understanding and utilization of rebound. The word is homologeo. By acknowledging our sins to God in John chapter 1, verse 9, verse 28 is the procedure that should always precede the Lord's table in verse 28. It says, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But this is the conjunction of correction. The situation will be corrected. The situation in the previous verse is the eat and drink. Unworthy and to be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now the, the situation can be corrected. How do we do that? Let a man, man referring to the believer, 
examine himself. This is a self-examination and it is a command, a present active imperative of the verb dokimazo, which means to test. This word was used for the assayer's testing ore, testing precious metals. It means, in this case, to test the purpose of finding approval, finding point of approval, and before taking the communion element, the believer should have confidence that he is approved of the Lord. Verse 30, for this reason, that is, believers out of fellowship, are partaking the Lord's table. For this reason, many, that is, many believers among you, and then we have three categories of divine discipline, weak, sick, and a number sleep, death. Let's take this first category, weak. This is a word which means to be feeble and to have loss of energy or loss of strength. It does not mean to have an actual sickness, but it actually means loss of energy and loss of strength. It is a sort of in between health and vigor and a severe illness. So it is an illness that indicates loss of energy, loss of strength, and this also indicates depression. Now, there are many causes of depression. Some are physiological, but many of them are spiritual. Here's a spiritual case. A believer partakes of the Lord's table out of fellowship. He feels weak and depressed, and he has no energy, no strength, no vitality. And it could be a spiritual cause as indicated here. Secondly, you get worse. You can get into an invalid state. Doctors cannot find what's wrong with you. But thirdly, the sin unto death. You can be chopped off completely. You can die physically. So Paul says, in a number sleep. Now the word sleep is a reference to physical death. Now, there are several words for physical death. The verb which is used here is used for believers only. The word is koimao, and it's translated sleep, but it is used for the physical death of a believer only. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Now we move into the spiritual gifts, chapter 12. Chapter 12 introduces the issue of spiritual gifts and their function within the body of Christ. Some Christian believers seem to have been creating divisions over spiritual gifts. Paul use of the body analogy in chapter 12, 12 to 27, implies that they have placed so much emphasis in one gift, tongues, that those without that gift feel that they are not part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 16 to 17. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So the principle is that the church is the body and Christ is the head of the body. We as believers are members of the body. This is analogous to any type of athletic team in which we play different positions, but we are members of the same team. So the principle then in verse 12, for even as the body is one, and the reason that the body is one is that every believer at the moment of salvation is entered into union with Christ. We are all in union with Christ. We are all in union with the same person of Jesus Christ. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, many members refer to the fact that we are different spiritual gifts. All believers are in union with Christ, but all believers have different spiritual gifts. This is the principle of using the analogy of the body. And all the members of the body, though they are many, indicates that it takes all kinds of positions to make the team function with all 
we all play different positions. The Holy Spirit distributes to each one individually as He wills. Let me give you a little short scripture listing of spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 2, 26, Romans 2, 12, chapter verse 8. Now, not all the gifts are listed in the Bible, but these are merely representatives or categorical concepts. Spiritual gifts are the Father's organized witness to the plan of salvation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 4. But all spiritual gifts operate as a part in the function of the team. For example, you see Joe Duke out in the front, proclaiming God's word. And everyone says, isn't he wonderful? But behind him are hundreds of spiritual gifts functioning. It is a team effort. You and I are on that team. The purpose of spiritual gifts is given in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 to 13. This is the purpose of leadership gifts. The perspective of spiritual gifts is given in the first half of 1 Corinthians 12. There are two categories of spiritual gifts. Temporary and permanent. A temporary spiritual gift was a gift that was used before the canon of scripture was completed. Permanent gifts are gifts that exist throughout the entire church age. Chapter 13, the way of love. Now Paul says in this chapter, and I show you a still more excellent way. And the word show is the word deknumi, means to demonstrate. I'm going to demonstrate to you now, to you is a daily advantage. It is for your advantage to, to know this. And it is to all of you. A still more excellent way is literally a way beyond comparison. And the more excellent way, a way beyond comparison, is the filling of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? At the moment of salvation, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Spirit. As soon as we sin, we are out of fellowship with God. The only way to get back in fellowship is to be filled with the Spirit. The word in the Greek is homologeo, to acknowledge our sins to God. He already knows our sins. We simply tell Him, you agree with Him about that sin, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 the word show means to point out, to demonstrate the concept of the feeling of the Spirit. We cannot love anyone if we are not filled with the Spirit. We will always react to someone when we are out of fellowship or carnal stage. In other words, when we are under the influence of the old sin nature rather than the Holy Spirit. In this chapter, Paul is using the first-class condition of, of assumption. If, first-class condition. He says, I'm going to assume something. Suppose, or if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So Paul says, suppose that I could speak in the languages of men. Now, in the Bible, whenever you find word tongues in plural, it always means languages. Languages that someone can understand. It always refers to a foreign language. Suppose that I could speak with the languages of men and of angels, but do not have love. And this is the noun agape, the word for divine love. It is used for the love of God for mankind in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. It is used for the, the love 
of the Son in John chapter 15, verse 9. It is used of a love of a believer for God, 1 John 4, 19. And above all, it is used for the filling of the Holy Spirit, producing in your heart divine love, Romans 5, 5. The love which belongs to God is shed abroad in our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is agape, divine love. Agape or divine love is a mental attitude love, and it is only produced by the Spirit and enhanced by doctrine. And so love, as you have it in chapter 13, refers to the feeling of the Spirit. And what the feeling of the Spirit produces, love is the greatest of gifts. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Thank you for your attentiveness. I hope and pray that this portion of God's Word would be a blessing to you.